0: All right, here we go. Take one. The pain I experienced in my life that was the greatest motivator was being arrested. My physical health was declining. My family refused to support my behaviors. And my friends, they were either dead or they were in custody. And I was the lone soldier back on January 3rd, 2002, when I was taken back into custody. And the question that I am asked the most by families is, is there hope for my child in staying clean because he or she has failed many times in the past? And the answer to that question is always yes. But why is the relapse rate so high for individuals and where do they go wrong? And I believe that they do not have a motivation that they control. You know, everybody is originally motivated by moving away from a painful experience. Now listen carefully to what I am about to say. A motivation from pain will never last. These are all temporary consequences that are either gonna resolve themselves or eventually go away. And once they disappear, using will return and a new pain Will arise, sending them back into that cycle of recidivism. Now, my guest today is here to share his experience in dealing with his son who has struggled with addiction and is currently in custody in Nebraska. Now, we don't know what his son will do when he gets out of custody, but I have been communicating with him through that app JPay. My guest, Paul. Is here to discuss what he has gone through from the family perspective. Please stay tuned. We got a great story for you. me in a tree. You know, it can be exceedingly difficult to determine how serious someone, whether it be a family member or a friend, is about getting help because the dis- decision can be very skewed by lack of money, being tired, employment problems, relationship problems, health problems, and in our case today, being incarcerated. When resolved, this may alter their course as they return to the previous lifestyle. You know, a lot of children and young adults are going to learn very early on the person or persons who they can use to manipulate as they use love as the tool to save them from negative consequences. Drug and alcohol abusers are not stupid people, and they can be great actors in general as, you know, they'll shed tears for sadness for a tank of gas from you and then leave the room with laughter as they hand their dealer the money for a bag of dope. We all must remember that when we are dealing with someone using, they're not themselves and they're lost in a world where nothing matters but that drug. And even though you may have unconditional love for your family member, love is not in the equation for that person whom we love and we want to save you know they're not requesting your love in most cases but instead they are they're encouraging material things to be given because of your love many are going to fear that if we do nothing to help then the person may die but if you offer help and they refuse to take advantage of it they may die if you continue to help as they have less incentive to change, because we can do this again later, this will increase the chances of relapse and an untimely death. You know, Al-Anon teaches about detachment, which is to let go of our obsession with another's behavior and begin to lead happier and a more manageable life. Now, this is not about detaching your love for this person. But it's also about loving yourself and learning to be happy with the absence of this individual. You know, someone currently using and being absent from the family can actually be very similar to burying a child with, with one exception, and that exception is hope. You know, parents will a lot of times hold on to hope when they've not received, obviously, that that you know, horrible news that they've died. And, you know, hopefully, obviously this person makes it back, but it's highly recommended that obviously people get involved maybe in Al-Anon and how is healthy love expressed? And it starts by loving yourself. Yeah. Now I obviously want to introduce my guest and my guest today is Paul Bergeron, who has had to deal with the absence of his son, Micah. Yeah. Micah is currently being housed in the Nebraska Department of Corrections for Mm -hmm. charges that are not specifically drug related, but they clearly are actions that are taken while under the influence. Exactly. And, you know, Micah is obviously not doing a life term, so he will get out Mm -hmm. of custody. But obviously, the question that comes to mind, you know, what will he do? Mm -hmm. Will, you know, so Paul, my, guest today um, is going to actually discuss this. And I, and I want him to actually talk about the impact that this has on the families. Yeah. And so let me ask you real quick, Paul, when um, how many times now has he been in custody?
1: Three times in 2020 uh, that were actually extended stays at the county level in jail. And once prior to that, about a year and a half earlier, maybe two years earlier when he just did an overnight and that scared him, but obviously not enough. And this third time that he went in in um, uh, 2020 actually led to him because he had similar charges within the same year. Uh, Like you said, not directly drug related, but related to drug use, (laughs) the behavior and the decisions and all the bad decisions related to drug use. Uh, The judge decided not to show leniency a second time instead of saying, nope, you're, you're doing hard time. So he's in prison now for the rest of all of all of 2021.
0: And this may be a great thing for him.
1: He said that. And we've actually said this probably has saved his life in 2020. And like you talking with uh, Kenneth Carter III in your recent place, he's even said the same words. I think this is exactly what I needed to change my life, to turn my life around, especially hitting prison. Because when he was in jail, he still had this sense of, okay, I got this. Jail feels temporary. Mm -hmm. Prison, not so much. This is like, whoa. (laughs) I don't got this. Has That really got his attention.
0: Has he actually really tried to get clean before?
1: Yes, but...
0: Like like outside of custody.
1: Yeah, outside of custody, you had made the comment about um, people using love as manipulation or even for him, he's even using treatment as manipulation. Just doing the bare minimums to get... To some checkbox or box that he could check and say, "Okay, I've done this. Can I be? Can you, can you leave me alone now? I've done what the judge wants. You know that type of thing." He didn't own it, mm-hmm. um, regardless of how much money or time or effort we put to get him into treatment. It would last either a few hours, maybe I think at most he made it a few weeks. But then he always was really good at hitting at hitting his own self destruct button.
0: So do you believe that he used treatment as just a break for himself? Like he really had no intention on staying clean and sober?
1: At the time, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, so that's kind of what I was, yeah, sort of implying. Which
1: is part of what you're saying about that whole thing of how do you really trust him?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, right now it's, um, I love you, I care about you, and I trust you as far as I can throw you. And he's now bigger than me, so I can't throw him more than a few feet, you know, so it comes down to, you know, we'll, we'll love you as a person, we'll support you as a person, we'll put some money on your books, not too much, just a little bit. Okay, so for birthday, you get the tablet, you know, that old uh, internal tablet, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll take your calls and we'll to, you know, like with, within boundaries, okay, here's some basic boundaries. Well, we're here to care for him as a person, but from this point forward, what we've learned is like you were mentioning, any actual material assistance that you provide just allows him to kick actual healing down the road, actual change down the road. Unless he scratches for every single moment of success and progress and owns it as his own, it's just an excuse. So we can do a kindness from time to time But he's going to have to put his whole life back together on his own because he's burned so many bridges that, um, you know, part of it's we're slow learners, right? You're that parent. (laughs) Even if you have an attorney who gives some kind of advice to say, hey, if we only do this, turns out to be bad advice
0: again. I can't tell you how many people, they find God in prison. Yeah. Uh, They find this, I'm going to save myself, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do good things. And then walk out the door and everything changes. Yeah. And that is the, you know, and that's where we come back to the family. And in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, it, it's important for the family to take care of themselves first. That's what we
1: had to learn the hard way more than once over several years.
0: How much money would you say you put into him and his drug use? Between
1: the attempts at treatment, the attempts, even one of the Cadillac premier places in the country up in Wisconsin, uh, to apartment, you know, paying for apartments, you know, vehicles, um, just odds and ends. Oh, and there's a, a child wonderful, wonderful little grandchild who's now 18 months old, who's come out of this whole relationship and this whole story. Um, all told, it's easily $40,000, $50,000 in about five, six, seven years, five years or so, five, six years.
0: And that is, you know, again, and I always, I always like to say that, you know, the, the drug user Mm-hmm. Sacrifices the parents, you know, and uh,
1: well, I've actually buried a child. Our firstborn did not make it past birth. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like to lay a child in the grave and and put the last shovel of dirt on, or the first shovel of dirt on yourself. I know what that's like, and sadly, that was part of the motivation to try and never have to do that again. But as you mentioned earlier enabling my own addiction to try and fix it, or my wife, or when we were at odds with each other, when I had finally stepped back and said, I'm not doing this anymore, he needs to be on his own. And it took my wife longer to come around to, no, I can't fix this. And you know, even you know, letting him back in the house when we had agreed that wasn't gonna happen. You know, there were some hard times, or even with you know, the siblings who were going, wait a minute, you've rejected everything we stand for as a family How can I show you love? Well, we found a way to do that. You know, faith and family really does resign but or or, or hold you together. But in the same way, the way he's describing and using love as an addict is a weapon. Mm -hmm. It's not as a tool. And we had to learn that. It's like, no, he runs by a whole different set of rules. And now that he's in, it's like when he's incarcerated, He reminds us of the person we used to know because he's clean. You know, he's been detoxed, you know, he's been sober and now he's been away from it for a while. And now having been burned a few times, as you say, you come out and it's like, oh, you're really not different. You're the same addict you were before. That's what we're trying to get him set up for, you know, December of this year. Hopefully when he gets out that he can actually be a different person.
0: You know, we, one thing that we discussed on the phone a little bit is the commonality with parents is parents will blame themselves. They'll blame each other. They'll blame another child if they were not an only child, you know? Yeah. I mean, how many parents like to take responsibility for the success of their children? How many parents will be proud of their accomplishments, but not take credit themselves for the efforts and hard work that their children put into things, you know? Why are you going to take responsibility for their bad choices, but not yeah. responsibility for their success? Mm-hmm. Well, I create in my book that have you received it yet or. No, well, I, I think it's in the mailbox. I got a little notice okay. and I appreciate you sending one to Micah. I think that'll give us a good little book study here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I created an acronym um, in the book and it's called blame me and it's hmm. because love and martyrdom equals my eternity. And I thought hard on this, you know, mm-hmm. and it's almost in a sense, if you look at it like a God yeah. complex, you know, when someone yeah. believes they have a God-like ability, you know, you didn't decide yeah. this and you should not suffer, you know, for the decisions yeah. that are made by your child.
1: That's really well said because it's, you know, it's easy to point to his pride. It's harder to recognize your own pride. Mm-hmm. It's easy to point to his selfish love. Mm-hmm. And it's harder to look at my own selfish love. It's easy to look at his vanity and people pleasing and idol chasing. You start to realize, whoa, all three of those things are me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you read in, in Genesis, in the beginning, God, it didn't say in the beginning, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a hard one to swallow, but it's also wonderful when you finally do. It's like, I, I'm not God, and I'm so glad because I'd screw it up. I, In fact, I have screwed it up so many times when I've tried to play that role, even with Micah. Um, the fact that he has a number of special needs was another excuse to say, well, you know, he can't handle it completely because... Or the addiction, he can't handle it completely because, but that's not loving. Loving is, yes, he can handle it. Yes, he can learn to handle it. Yes, he's going to take some really hard blows in his learning. And he's going to own it. And he's going to get up. He's going to fall down six times, get up seven. But I can't be that person to do that. So he's, in, you know, he's 24. Time to grow up and time to let him grow up.
0: And it sounded so like, part it, of my it, fault. it sounds like you sort of held on to that for a while. I mean, yeah. you, you held on to the blame you held on to, you know, that somewhere along this line, you are responsible. How did you get out of that? Well,
1: you know, part of that comes from, you know, adoption. Okay. So when you take on the little life handed over to you and said, here, you know, you, having lost one child at birth and then having another child handed to you and said, here, you know, he's all yours. Uh, there is that certain sense of I've, I've taken this on. But part of that is when you finally realize every time I try to do something for him that he could, should, would do for himself, I'm harming him. And it's really not about me. It's not about me, it's not about me. And that piece you were saying earlier about, you have to take care of yourself because I can't help anybody if I don't care of myself. And we tried to go to Al-Anon you know, a few times, my wife and I, she was still in fix-it mode and was really frustrated that these people were detaching, as you said. Mm-hmm. Al-Anon's trying to detach and says, what are we doing here? They're all detached, they don't care. <laughs> Where's all the fix-it plans? Mm-hmm. Well, eventually we ended up um, in our own uh, counseling that, again, was, okay, what ideas do you have to fix our son? And he says, I'm not here to fix her son. I'm here to make sure you keep your marriage. Or what? No, I'm here to make sure you are good with each other and good with yourselves. So that you can be there for Micah when he finally gets it figured out. You can be there for your daughters. You can be there for everything and everyone else. But if the two of you go down, it's all over. Don't let his addiction ruin you. And that was a powerful, another aha moment. I'm not here to fix Micah. I'm here to help you heal so that maybe someday he can heal.
0: Yeah, because you cannot fix him. No. I have, you no. know, I work in the substance abuse industry. And, yeah. And, um, you know, when I get people that, you know, you get people that come in and, and it's almost, you know, i talk to the family, you know, what are you hoping that we can, we can do for you? You know, and I hear sometimes you need to fix me. Yep. And I go, well, you know what? I can't do that. You know, yeah, I cannot fix anybody. No, you know, I can offer tools. And that's okay. I can offer tools. I can offer recommendations. I can give advice, mm-hmm. but you are the one that has to do it. You know, and that's yeah. the hard part.
1: <laughs> it is. And, and, you know, actually having him in jail and in prison has given us, you know, a mental, emotional, physical break because we don't have to wonder where he's at, what's up, what's going on. We can rest while he is healing and recovering in, in a similar way that, um, you know, your previous uh, interview with. Um, with Kenneth, it's like that was his chance to begin learning about himself Mm -hmm. and what's really going on inside of me and how I can be a different person. He's actually doing that now and actually having a young son has been very helpful because I can say, well, I understand that you have these plans for when you get out. There's always that when I get out kind of talk going on, Mm -hmm. even though it's a ways from now. It, It keeps him going, but it's also what kind of a role model are you going to be for your son? Because yeah. you're now telling me that you're finally remembering what you learned from me as you grew up. Because this life, the street life he's been on the last several years is not how he grew up. Right. And he's going, ah, oh, you know, that really wasn't so bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe there's something from there I can grab. But it's like, you know, what do you want this? How do you want to make sure your son doesn't continue on in your, in your path? Yeah and that's been very helpful um, but it's also going to be at some point and here's what you have to not do to allow him to be successful things he can learn on his own while at the same time you're not setting him up for failure you know like you've been right now cuz you know he's on the he's been on the road to you know set up a generational you know disaster yeah. but there's 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 hope i finally have hope again, and it comes from stepping back and not trying to fix, not trying to help. You know, we haven't been doing Al-Anon, but uh, either with our own, uh, our own therapy that we've had, or uh, ironically, um, we had Micah set up with an addiction therapist and uh, an addiction and mental health therapist. And while he's in jail and prison, you know, there's no way for them to connect. And so we've continue down with her as our therapist, sure. <laughs> mostly with my wife, but it's been helpful to kind of think things through with someone else who can be like you and say, come on now, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he, I want to read something to you. This is what, this is yeah. one of the things that he wrote me. He, okay. And you know, I he said, Hey, thanks for the email. This was the first one. And I've been sure. lost for most of my life now and just starting to find my way. I've been doing drugs from the age of 10 and I've been, been in the street life just as long, I've been doing it so long and so hard that it's all I know and I'm comfortable in craziness, then yeah. I am in peace and quiet. I want to get away from the street life and I love it so much that I would walk away from my family and son just for the mm-hmm. highs and rush I get um, I get from it. I hate that I love the street life so much and there are so there are some days my mind is on the right path but most of the time my mind is on making the next move and how to come up quick. My parents never been in that world. And in prison, there's a very small amount of guys on the right path, but I hope you can help me obviously, you know, find my way back to my son and my family. I've been wanting to change, but I don't want to take the time. And biggest thing is to cut off every everything street off. My life is the hardest thing of all, because that's been my world and everything that makes me who I am today. I love my parents Mm -hmm. and to be a great dad to my son and my parents did nothing wrong raising me. I just made wrong choices and most likely keep making bad choices, but hopefully less of them hope to hear from you soon. Thanks. And we've been communicating a few different times, but I want to let you know that the this message here, and I, I really like it to tell you the truth, because it it's a real honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he didn't come out with any bullshit. You know, from the from the get go, because he's getting better at that. Because I know yeah. exactly what he's talking about. You mm-hmm. know that you're sitting in custody and you're thinking like, I want to do this, I want to get clean, but then it's like that that rush of, you know, that street is, is just as hard to get yeah. off of. It I don't, is. I think i had said in, in that interview with um, Kenneth, I don't know, but you know, my drug of choice was adrenaline. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's really, you know, cause you know, like high mm-hmm. wall clean, the name of my podcast, you know, shows that, that, it, it, you know, it's not the drugs we're getting high off. It's our own chemicals. Yeah. And so everything within yeah. us and that adrenaline, And I understand Mm. that street life and I understand the, the um, insanity of it all. And the, the additional highness, you know, that comes uh, from the craziness of everything. And so that's why I really liked that message he sent, because again, that's, that's so honest on where he's at. Mm -hmm. And I do want to tell you though, that that is not, does not mean that's a bad message. Okay. Because, um, It's basically saying that, yeah, this is my mind and it's going back and forth and it's going crazy. And I I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. You know, how do I do this? He asked for help in that.
1: Yeah. And that's also relatively new. And I think that's partly what prison has done for him. And like you commented before, it's one of the best things that happened to me. I think that's where pain and tragedy, like your book, I haven't seen it yet, but at least by the title, um, pain and sorrow and tragedy really can be some of your best friends because it forces you to be real. It forces you to be honest. Um, And that's really where some of our biggest concern is. I remember we took him out to a a, a week, I took him out to a week-long therapy session in Ohio. And this person did a fabulous job of helping him connect between the emotional side of his brain where lots of his trauma had been embedded so that you're constantly thinking and feeling like this trauma is still happening to you because it's in the emotional side of your brain and how to transfer some of those, those thoughts and memories over to the thinking part of your brain that can go, oh, wait a minute. That was a long time ago. It's not happening right now. I don't have to be controlled by that. And that really was helpful. But when he came back, he's trying to set himself up with, you know, distancing himself from people that were part of the problem and trying to have a different way of life. But then he made the comment, you know, cause he has, you know, a number of other issues going on. Like you say, the brain buzzing all the time um, where he says, I'm just like he said in the email, I'm just not used to this. Mm-hmm. I'm used to this. And when I'm down here, ah, oh, that feels weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to not be going 150 miles an hour when you're asking me that I should be at 75 miles an hour. I can do this for a few days, a few weeks, maybe. <laughs> yep. And that's, you know, and then I just got to bust out and get back to. So it's, it's like you, how do you get that same high feeling while clean? Yep. So that you don't have to go back to all that self-destructive stuff. And that's where we're kind of like, okay,
0: I want to believe it, but. You know, the more time that he can get away from it you know, and, okay. s- and stay off it, um, Yeah, the better chances he will have, because the reality being is he's killed a lot of brain cells, you know? Well, yeah. And what happens, you know, is that it's a thing called neuroplasticity, right? That, okay. that True. saves, it, literally it saves us from mm-hmm. the toxins that we're putting in our body. But on the okay. flip side, when that happens, our body mm-hmm. becomes dependent upon it. Right. And so when you get off methamphetamine um and this is the this is sadly why the relapse rate is so high with methamphetamine is right. because you know we have a part of the brain called the amygdala and that mm-hmm. the amygdala stores our emotional memories. Yeah. So the highness that he originally felt back at the first time that he used it when you really yeah. got it, right? Yeah. That's ingrained in that amygdala. And that's obviously what does the cravings. Now, the flip side to that is neuroplasticity then becomes a positive if we stay off it, because then our body starts changing back. Right. Okay. But you're going to go through depression. You know, you're going to go through these ups and downs, that memory of the high is there. Yeah. Which is why, number one, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to glorify it. You know, right. We don't want to build it up.
1: Yeah. I've I've heard heard, some of those glorifying stories. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that sets us up and we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when, if, you know, when I tell clients this all the time, if you guys start doing that, stop, you got to just stop, you know, because you can, you can, the power of the mind, our minds have the ability to induce cravings to where I can taste it. I can feel mm-hmm. it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and when I get there, I'm going to most likely do it. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. that's the power of it. And that's the the challenge that he's going to face. So the more time that he can stay away from it, you know, that's why, honestly, maybe another year, if he'd been sentenced to two years it might've been better, uh, <laughs> but the long, who knows,
1: you know, if you get in trouble while you're in there, they do feel free to tack on more time. Absolutely. So the, so the
0: longer he can stay away from it, that neuroplasticity will resort back to functioning as well as possible. I mean, there's yeah. you know damage that has, you know, dead brain cells never come back, but right. know, the, the changes. But the brain does take over and fill in
1: gaps. And one thing you mentioned uh, on your, I, I listened to previously, uh, there was the comment that you know you can actually take and this may be helpful for him you know as a family member trying to find some positives where you were making the comments about you can take some of the skills that you used to use that got you in trouble take those same skills and put them over here and now you can actually do it the right way and i remember when he was in high school and actually learning to be a a gourmet chef in a retirement community, had a, you know, a gourmet kitchen, and he made this comment, and I I try to hold on to this, where he says, you know, for all these years in school, I've been told that my ADHD is a real problem, because I can't sit still, and I'm always paying attention to everything, but you know, in this kitchen, it's a huge asset. I'm one of the best in the kitchen, because I always know what's going on. I know where things are at, I don't get flustered by having too much happening at one time. I'm the master of my environment. Mm -hmm. And so it's a matter of saying, okay, what are those things? Even if there's some damage going on, what are those things that you can repurpose for good? Even if they're powerful, powerful drive, just redirect them into something that'll keep you on the outs
0: you know, I'd been arrested 10 times in my life, you know? And so 2002, you know, was my January 3rd, 2002 was my last arrest. And, you know, I remember getting in custody and I mean, I could not read a book. I mean, I could Mm -hmm. not comprehend anything. My brain was just in such disarray that Mm -hmm. nothing made sense to me. You know, Um, I slept for four days when I first got in there, you know? Mm -hmm. And um and I realized, though, as, as the time went on, and this is something I'm going to mention to him, is okay. if he, you know, more than he can read, if he can read, if write, um, you know, our brains are like any muscle in our body. The mm-hmm. more we use it, the better, the stronger it becomes, you know, and
1: I'm going to use that. Yeah, that exact phrase. That's a really good point of view, because he, he, he has talked about that where it's been difficult. Um, One book that I got him recently, he may just made the comment, I can only read one or two pages a day because it's taking me a while to really absorb it. And I kind of have to reread them. And some of the words are bigger words than I'm used to using, Um, but it's good, it's good. But I'm gonna use that idea. It's like, yes, and you're, you're you're getting your brain back into shape and that's okay. Don't put it down keep working at it
0: <laughs> i used to do uh i would do groups sometimes with clients and and we would do these logic problems right okay and some of them were very difficult you know mm-hmm. and i would always tell the clients i go you know what it doesn't matter if you actually solve it right yeah what matters is that you're using your brain <laughs> thank you yeah <laughs> you know?
1: that's a really good point
0: point. and so and that's
1: you know, and that's that's true because we keep saying what were you thinking Well, clearly that wasn't happening. Thinking wasn't happening, but it's that, that courage that today you may be down, but tomorrow you can read a page is enough. Mm -hmm. Two pages is enough. Um, And Kenneth even indicated, or he wrote to me and said, Hey, the one thing I, that really helped me was writing stuff down and writing out where I screwed up, owning it, and then writing down. What I'm going to do to get that right, and the writing was an important part of it because it helps to get it into your brain. It's not just a passing thought; you're actually scratching it out on paper, you know. And the other part that he said was, you know, getting away from people that were going to tear me down and take me away from my future. Uh, but you know, the, the, being on the outside looking in is so hard. And yet, you know, the comment that I've heard you say before is, if you don't have support, it's even harder. But the question is, how are you the right support? You know, how much is enough talking by phone and how much is too much and not allowing him to simmer and and keep his own thoughts? You know what um, I tell
0: people, to- What I always tell people on that is that, yeah. if it doesn't affect your life in any way,, mm-hmm. then talk to him. okay. Right? don't don't, don't go out of your way you miss work, you're late to work, you're, you know, right. you're supposed to go out to dinner and, and, you, uh, and you aren't able to do it because you're on the phone. That's mm-hmm. when it's a problem, as long as it's not interfering with your life. I mean, you can obviously make the decision yourself that yeah. even if it's not, I don't want to talk to him. Great, yeah, it's okay, you
1: know? Yeah, that's been our approach and it's a boundary that we have. Is this an okay time for me? All right, if it's not, I'll just let it ring. Um, and so that's good to know because, um, you just, it's always a moving target. Just when you think you've got it kind of figured out, something shifts, something happens, or you get on room restriction for some reason, or, uh, you know, get phone privileges taken away, but he still has the email. So, you know, it's an ongoing thing, but I appreciate your, what your comments about take care of you. And I think if I were to say anything to people who are at the early stages of this, yeah, it's set boundaries, take care of you and allow them to feel the pain of what their decisions are causing them. I think that was one of our biggest mistakes is not allowing them to feel the pain.
0: That is the and key to it because pain is, you know, pain is inevitable, Yeah. but for the substance user or abuser, um, yeah. it is detrimental, the more pain we have, you know, I, I tell you, you know, it's like, how do we really define feeling good if we haven't really experienced pain? How do you know what that is? How can you correlate the two? Yeah. You know? And so, um, but yeah, I mean the title of my book, pain, failure, and misery are the stepping stones to success, you know, because if I can utilize my pain, you know, as a teacher, as a lesson, uh, yeah. The more pain that we can experience, the better we can become. And we can become better than even people that have never been through it.
1: <laughs> well, and, and, and that's the power. Uh, the challenge, of course, is being willing to face, you know, pride gets in the way and being willing to face your pain. Um, and now that I look back, you know, on, on childhood, you uh, always such a great sharp kid you know he loved to talk about you know both of his grandpas were troublemakers so it's like tell me about a time when grandpa got in trouble that helped him feel better about being in trouble himself but he always struggled with talking about his own getting in trouble just even just simply processing it you know what were you thinking how can we do that differently it's like nope 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 that's in the past that's in the past we don't go there we don't go in the background And I think that's really perhaps what's happening now is he has no choice but to face the pain and choose to either embrace it or just completely self-destruct. And it sounds like he wants to heal. He wants to become a whole person and be there for his son when the drugs are telling him what son, what family, what responsibility.
0: Yeah, he's got the rest of this year
1: to figure
0: it out, you know.
1: Um, so what's the best way I can be supportive to him during this time to make the best use of that time? Cause that's one thing that, uh, Kenneth talked about. says, I use that time to become a better person. Mm-hmm. What are the best things we can do to, um, we can't do it for him, obviously, but what's the best thing we can do from the outside looking in?
0: Um, you know, honestly, sometimes the best thing is to, you know, um, keep a little distant, you know, don't Mm -hmm. be over, you know, helping don't put too much money on his books. Uh,
1: I keep it modest. He asked for more and I say, well, that's something you can work with. Okay. If you want that extra thing. All right. I guess you're just going to have to make some choices. (laughs) Oh, okay.
0: And I kind of said this on the the podcast with Kenneth, you know, was that I isolated myself. I separated myself from You know, I was the guy literally sitting in the corner working on myself, you know? Okay. Um, And, you know, I had, um, I had books, I had great books. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, um, you know, my dad actually, my my pastor came from my dad's church and actually brought me some really good books. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I read, you know, again, just doing a lot of reading. And I think from his perspective, um, I think that's what he probably needs. He needs to be alone Mm -hmm. um, to a certain degree so that he can focus on himself. I'm going to send him some messages about this. Yeah, that'll be important because he um, I I really think that that was a huge part with me. You know, I didn't have I mean, yes, I had my parents, um, Mm -hmm. but, you know, they didn't visit me all the time. You know, and yeah. uh, and I didn't need him though, and that was really the part was that I realized yeah. that you know I need to I need to stand on my own two feet,
1: and that's what I really we really wish for him, that he could stand on his own two feet, and I think that's why he was so quick to find other people to latch onto, because there's some reason of not feeling he can do that on his own, and even now he's a verbal processor, so if he's going to be alone, I guess I'm going to be on the phone more often to help him. Give some place to think out loud. How old is he now? Twenty-four.
0: Okay. Twenty-four. Yeah, I was I was 28, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit later. Um, and that's the d- difficult, you know, the age range that he's in. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's still, you know, in that invincibility, I know everything mentality, you know, yeah, although he's not that completely is- though
1: no no he, he's had that uh, thumped into him a little bit but right now he's around people that can force him to behave even if he gets off track a little bit you know he'll find himself on some kind of internal punishment uh, because he has to pay attention and so he's learning self-control because not being controlled there is a real problem and so i try to encourage him to use that this is practice if you can Resist the temptations here because, you know, drugs are in jail, jail, drugs are in prison. There's all kinds of things that can still get you in trouble. And so far, it sounds like he's been rejecting those things and withdrawing more. But
0: um, now the most important thing, and I'm going to talk to him about this, too, is mm -hmm. that, you know, we talk about pain as being a great motivator and a great asset for our life. But the motive, that motivation will never last. Right. Because eventually the pain goes away. You know, Mm -hmm. eventually he's out of prison. This is where a lot of people fail. Right. And so his motivation really needs to change and he needs to focus on what are my goals? What are my dreams? Mm -hmm. What are, what are the things that mean more to me than that drug itself? You know, his son, you know, he's got a son, that yep. you know if he can maintain the value and the importance of I want to be a good father you know mm-hmm. I want to have a career I want to have a house someday you know yeah. I want to be happy exactly you know? because happiness does not come from drugs no you know even though you get and that, that, even
1: as you said before that feeling of being high isn't really from the drugs it's what the drugs trigger but there are a lot of great ways to trigger that feeling of high that don't involve drugs.
0: Yeah, you have to. One of the things I teach is that you know high while well, clean, mm-hmm. and you know the the reality being though too is you do have to alter your perception of pleasure a little bit. Yeah, um, and you know pleasure is a survival. We get dopamine mm-hmm. when we eat food, when we drink water, and we're thirsty. When you have sex, you know for Maintaining our species. Um, and, uh, but you get high from, I get high from sitting here talking to you. Yeah. You know, I can get high from, if you have a job that doesn't feel like a job, I get high, you know, doing that. You can go mm-hmm. extremes, obviously, and jump out of airplanes and go bungee jumping yep. and, you know, zip lining <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but I find enjoyment in things I do. And that mm-hmm. is, Um, but you do have to alter that concept of what pleasure means because.
1: And that's, what's hard from a family member's point of view. And that's part of the grieving that goes on when you see a child going down that path, that you're grieving all the things that could have, would have, should have been and laying those to rest and allowing him to, recreate that space I mean the last time he was arrested in my heart and soul in many ways I felt as though it was like the ultimate gut punch just the way it happened Mm -hmm. it's like well I guess my son did just die I don't know if if anything can be recovered from that it did feel like a death but fortunately the people around me help to pull me around and say, no, actually he's still here.
0: <laughs> you've got the hope. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, the, and you don't know what he's going to do when he gets out, you know, right. Cause that's up to him. That's his choice. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that's, that's, that, that's the part that you want to be hopeful as a family member, but you've been burned so many times you're in this, where's the balance point between hope and support and it's like hands off it is what it is Mm -hmm. you know preparing yourself for five steps forward three steps back okay but at least we're still two steps ahead you know it's having that kind of optimism it's like addressing what's real and feeling like the next time it might be two steps forward and no steps backwards Mm okay and letting that be his world and his life. And it's not the one we thought it was going to be. It's not the one he necessarily thought it was going to be, but it's it's his hope for his future.
0: I got a question for you on, so your son, he was adopted. Yeah. What do you know about his parents or his birth pa- people?
1: <laughs> yeah, his birth parents. Well, you know, there's there's a, a whole family story there and he's actually reconnected with them and unfortunately they had a chance to experience what we did (laughs) um mainly on, on the one side more than the other and you know there's some pattern here to you know his his past history but there's also that sense of hope in uh you know connecting with his birth mother that even though she unfortunately experienced some of the same bridge burning (laughs) that we did because he was still in the midst of all this. Mm -hmm. There's still that sense of hope. And so in one sense, I really appreciate that because uh, the team is bigger. This is a team sport. This is really a team sport, you know, know, rallying around someone who's been this far down into, uh, you know, the, the tailspin, but there's hope that they can come back. And so we've actually stayed in touch and you know, stay connected. it's hard for all of us, but okay, we're not alone. We're all rooting for him, but also realizing it's, it's, it's gotta be his choice.
0: How did you know, he so. feel when he found out he was adopted? Well,
1: that's a good question. Early on is more just, okay. I think over time it became a sense of like you hear a lot, why didn't you want me kind of a thing? But we were able to share a letter that said, you know, I love you so much that, you know, this is my choice for you to have another, another life. And it really is something that came out of love. But I, I think given where he's coming from, that is something he admits to have used at times as a leverage. You know, once the addiction started to set in, that became, you know, a weapon to use on whoever it was helpful to. Whereas now I think he's able to say, okay, this is now a part of my life. How am I going to keep it a part of my life? Because I now have some half brothers that I need to be there for and to be able to take care of. And I want them to look up to me kind of a thing. So it actually has expanded his view of these are all the reasons for getting my life right.
0: So if you were to to send a message or tell a message um, to the families that are going through this, what would that be?
1: It's not your fault. It's also not your job. (laughs) It's not your fault. They are the way they are. You may have contributed to it through some enabling, but that's no fault of your own. That's parents trying to help their kids. And if you've never been through this before, you don't know what's happening to you that you're becoming addicted to helping them not be addicted. And it's an awful thing. But it's 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 not your fault in that sense, but it's also, it's not your job to fix them. It is your job to take care of yourself. It is your job to set boundaries. And love can be tough and still be loving. It's not, I love you, but, it's I love you and I know you can handle this and, I'm there to pick you back up when you're falling, but I'm not going to pick you back up by taking care of all your problems. I'll be there to listen. I'll be there to encourage you. I'll be there to comfort. And um, I'm not going to get it right, but every single day, you've got another chance to try again. (laughs) And to be really easy on yourself because it's so easy to just beat yourself up and just to allow yourself to go into a tailspin and uh, you know it that's going to happen and that's okay as long as you stay close enough to the surface that you can come back up for air
0: (laughs) yeah it's the money that becomes dangerous yeah (laughs) that's that's the biggest thing of why
1: it's not your job to fix this because you will rationalize why it's okay to take money that you were going to use to pay a bill and instead pay one of his bills. Or if, you know, one of the biggest things was, you know, you get a cell phone and never pay a bill. And then eventually that goes to the collection agency and guess what address is being used for the permanent address. And that sense of responsibility is saying, well, you know, it's not right for this person to not be paid and to be able to say, yeah, but look whose name is on the bill it's not ours yeah. <laughs> that's for him to figure out and it's just like letting go yeah. of feeling responsible that's hard and when you do that it's like yeah. it does
0: help yeah and i know it's a relief to know that to where to know where he is today it yeah. is and, and I mean, I'm did, actually
1: happy that he's there, not because I want bad things to happen to him, but because he has to deal with things now. And, you know,
0: great opportunity.
1: God has atten- his attention. Now you have his attention. We have his attention. There's a few other people that have his attention. And, uh, you know, there, there is hope. There really is hope. Never, ever, ever give up hope. Right. Um, but also get out of the way and let that hope emerge. I think is really where it comes from.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have another acronym that I put in my book and it's called, it's called healing me. Yeah. Which can be equated with happiness equals a loving, invigorating, never ending, grateful, multifaceted exaltation. It's the strength that comes from the many facets. As we come together, Yeah. Right. As we support each other through love and gratitude, and this allows you know us an ability to, as you could say, rejoice. You know, shame and blame is what again I've seen mostly through the years that will hold you down. It will destroy your life, and it's time that we stand together. You know, and I think this is a big key. You know, there's Mm -hmm. no need to do this alone, and we can love together. Love. Let our voices echo let our voices echo. That's why I really appreciate you coming on here. You know, it's, um, you know, so many people out there, you know, are shameful of their family mm-hmm. member, you know, oh, you know, they feel responsible. Oh, this is going to make yeah. us look bad. You know, um, I honestly have an opinion that at funerals, if you have a, a son that died of drug overdose, why aren't you talking about that at the funeral? Yeah. Yeah. You know because these are the things that can help people you know
1: well and we've been able to avoid that by the grace of god there's still a chance for him to make an impact on this world and you know we go from yale to jail you know his sisters are in college doing very well towards their professional medical related career right. and at the same time i'll talk about them and as I even meet new people and they say, and, uh, you know, do you have any other children? Yes, my son. And, and, and he's, he's in prison now. And they go, what? <laughs> go, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So I don't want to hide him. And I don't want him to be just shunned off somewhere. So, well, yeah, you know, he's, he's, um, he's on his own now. No, I don't do that. And the thing is, it opens up a conversation for people. Even when I was open at times with some clients, you know, in, in a little bit of a private space, but talking about his, his challenges with uh, addiction. Boy, all the people that would privately come up to him say, oh man, you know, my son or my daughter, or, you know, all of a sudden you're opened up to all these people that I thought I was alone.
0: Yep. No, no,
1: you're far no, from you're not. alone,
0: far from, far from <laughs> alone.
1: And so for as, as awful as it can be sometimes, being open and being honest in a loving, caring way, not in a you know dismissive way or, or shaming kind of, but just an open, honest way is really part of that healing that, yep, he is and will always be a part of our family. And this is what we are going through now. I mean, that's, and that's okay.
0: That's what, that's really what we need. We need more communication, yeah. you yeah. know, that we can, and, and stand together. I think that's really what this is about, you know,
1: life is a team sport. Yep,
0: Absolutely. You have been an absolutely fantastic guest on this show.
1: Oh, well, this is just a normal day here. I, I appreciate the conversational approach that you take. It makes it much easier.
0: Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of High Wall Clean. Let's keep getting high, but let's do it clean. I'll see you soon.